Well, it is uh, a new day, and it's a, a, a new beginning for many of us, right? Every day is a new beginning. Every day is a new challenge. Every day is a new opportunity for all of us. We just concluded our series, Tipping Point, where we examined different folks in the Bible who took advantage of great opportunities. They didn't look to blame other people for their faults. Uh, they didn't take the challenges of everyday living and go, you know what? I can't do anything for God because of my family life, because of uh, my setbacks. They actually use their setbacks to advance the cause of God and to advance the cause of, of the kingdom. Now today, I, I just, I suspended the flowery speech and the superlatives and I want to go right to the heart of the matter because I believe that if we're not careful, we as individuals can make a giant mess of our own personal lives. So I've entitled this message, How to Make a Mess of Your Life and ruin everybody else's life around you. Isn't that a great sermon title? Isn't that just a way to encourage everybody in the world to come back? But sometimes it's important that we recognize, as one person once said, I have met the enemy, and it is me. I have met the enemy, and it is me. If you and I can say that collectively and agree to that, we are on the road to recovery. But I am absolutely convinced, the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I'm challenged to work alongside with people, and I'm even dealing with my own crisis of belief, my own challenges, I am absolutely convinced that my worst enemy is Jim Book. My worst enemy is me. I have seen football teams fail on the field, and they will blame everybody but their own inability to carry out the play. Coaches blame the crowd, the field, the officiating, when in reality, they lost the game because they refused to play the game in which they had studied. I've seen politicians blame other people for their failed campaigns. We have seen businesses fall apart, failing to recognize that they self-imploded due to poor decisions. Here then is the recipe for absolute failure. And I know nobody came in here today thinking, I want to fail. There isn't a soul here today that got up this morning and said, I want to make a complete mess of this day. I want to see how many people I can offend. I want to see how many people's lives I can destroy. I want to see how much of my life I can ruin before the day is over. But the reality is, because we fail to recognize the crisis, we fail to recognize the dilemma, and we defer so many times, we self-implode, we self-destruct, largely due to self-denial. Here's how to implode. I'm going to share with everyone today the very best way to sabotage your life and to end your journey in this world in the very worst, most disastrous way possible. Now, here's how you can not only derail your life, but everyone else that comes in your path. I want you to pay careful attention. I want you to absorb this material. There's a place in your bulletin you can write these two points down. I want you to refer back to this over and over and over. I want you to pray over it this week. I want you to say, Lord, if I have met the enemy and it truly is me, And I know there's recovery and hope. Lord, I want to absorb this. I want to recognize that I am my own worst enemy. That I have sabotaged my own relationships. That I have sabotaged my own family. That I have sabotaged my faith relationship with you. But I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to self-destruct anymore. I'm not going to practice self-denial anymore. No, I'm going to own it. Now, we are going over a series on Wednesday night. And I just want to challenge our visitors today. If you have not been a part of our Wednesday night spiritual warfare series. It's not too late to get a part, be a part of it. We do a different lesson every Wednesday. But the more I get into spiritual warfare, the more I study the schemes of the devil, I realize that he does not have any power that God has not granted him permission. He cannot tempt me outside of God's sovereign will. God has given permission through his will. But the reality is God is sovereign. Satan does not control me. 
Satan does not control you. And I know we want to believe that because as long as we believe that, we take ourselves out of the role of being responsible and the change that needs to happen. But you and I, with the power of the Holy Spirit, can change the direction of our lives. So how do we do that? How do we continue to live in the past? How do we, how do we continue to self-destruct? How do I continue to sabotage my life? Number one, never, and I mean never, take responsibility for anything. Never take responsibility for anything. Now, I do realize this morning that there are folks here today, probably every one of us, who have faced a terrible crisis that altered our life through no choice of our own. Yet I will tell those folks with the same conviction I would to those who are self-destructing because of issues that they have brought into their life, don't let that crisis or event define you anymore. Let God use that crisis, but don't let yourself be used by it. Never, and I mean never, take responsibility for anything happens when we defer. We never take ownership for anything in our life. We avoid honest evaluation of ourselves. And we know that if we honestly evaluate ourselves, we may not like the answer. So what do we do? We just continue to compartmentalize it. We continue to blame others. We continue to blame circumstances. We continue to blame anybody and everybody in our life path except ourselves. Do you realize that this is not new with humanity? We did not invent this in the 21st century. Genesis, the third chapter, verse 12. After Adam and Eve had sinned willfully against God's direct command, God encountered Adam. And the first thing out of Adam's mouth was, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Do you realize that deference started in the garden? Instead of Adam and saying, Lord, you're right. I heard the command. I understood the role of the command. I understood the uh, in, in, implicit directions that you have given me. And I choose, I chose rather, because of my humanistic desires to disobey you. I think God would have had a lot more respect for him. Well, it doesn't stop there. He went to Eve. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Instead of saying, I disobeyed you, I took a command that you gave, and I willfully disobeyed you. Here's what she said. That crazy serpent deceived me, I added that word, and I ate. So Adam's blaming Eve, Eve's blaming the devil, and then the Lord said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed to you above all the livestock. Listen, I have a little bit of respect for Satan, because he's the only one in the picture that didn't blame somebody else. You ever think about that? He's the only one that said, hey, I'm evil to the core. I get it. Today, I want to challenge you as much as I want to challenge myself to recognize that Satan has convinced billions and billions of people that they are victims. And as long as there is one human being left walking on the face of the earth alongside with each and every one of us, then there will always be someone, possibly someone else to blame for my miserable condition. condition. John Baker, and I have a ton of respect for John Baker. John Baker in his book, Life's Healing Choices. And by the way, it's John Baker that got a hold of Rick Warren years ago and said, we've got to start celebrating recovery here on the West Coast. And thankfully, that ministry has mushroomed into almost every continent in the United States. I am proud to say to you today, and if you're visiting today, please hear me. We have a well-functioning, well-defined, growing, God-centered, inspirational Celebrate Recovery ministry. 
that does not encourage people to defer anymore. Take ownership of your life, take ownership of your mistakes, and recognize that you can't fix yourself, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and God's people rooting for you, you can change the direction of your life. I'm proud to be a church that offers Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And I say that to you because I want you, if you're not presently involved in a recovery program, it is one of the first and best programs that helps people stop self-destructing and self-imploding. But in his book, he says it this way, and I quote, and I can't say it any better than him, so here it goes. Sometimes in our denial, we excuse ourselves and we accuse others. If my wife could just get her act together, if my husband could just get his act together, if our kids could just get their act together, if we could just find a new job and find a new home and find a new career, if we could just get out of this town and move to another town, if we could just sell this car and buy another car, if we could just get another pet or get rid of the pet that we have. And I've added some of that, but I just thought that would be important. Anyway, he just stopped with marriage. If we could just get our marriage fixed, we would be fine. So what we do, we play the blame game. Do you know how to spell blame? Look here. Here's how you spell blame. Well, that's not how you spell it, but maybe it's, hang on, it's too good to pass up. Maybe it's not up there. Now, see, I could, I could blame all the tech people. (laughs) But I will not blame the tech people. I will blame myself because I did not get the information. All right, spell blame for me. Ready? There it is. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Okay, ready? But notice how he spells it. John Baker spells it, be lame. Be lame. See, when you and I play the blame game and we look at everybody else and blame everybody else for our mistakes... We look at our family crisis and we look for everybody out there to blame. Well, let's blame the preacher. Let's blame the student minister. Let's blame the school teacher. Oh, let's blame the mayor. Or let's blame the football coach or the basketball coach or someone in our life. We are lame. We hobble through life, crippled emotionally and spiritually. Man, I'm tired of walking around like a lame individual. I want to be real and honest, but I want to be spiritually healthy. And spiritual health starts with me recognizing i got to change. And I'm not going to defer anymore. I'm not going to blame anybody else. If I want recovery, Lord, even if there was a situation in my life that was brought on me by circumstances out of my control, I will not let that hinder my growth and development anymore. Amen? All right, so today it's time to take control. It's time to own it. It's time to set a new course, a new direction. And it starts with a new hope and a new challenge. To suggest that a person might be responsible for their life choices never seems to come up in conversations. Why? Because it's going to force me to look at myself objectively and analyze my lifestyle and decisions through the lens of Scripture. Scripture convicts, it challenges, it redirects. I'd be forced to take responsibility for my actions. But Lord, as long as I can find someone else to blame, as long as I can throw it in someone else's lap, as long as I can find excuses for my behavior, as long as I can find excuses for all the decisions I've made that have hindered my growth and the growth of my family and friends, I no longer have to take responsibility for change. But when I do own it, when I walk into the room and say to the people that I work with, I want to apologize for my attitude. I'm the reason why there's so much hostility in this office. And I'm going to change. When husband and wives can look at each other and say, look, 
We have found so many reasons to blame for our self-implosion, for the derailed marriage that we have. But from now on, we're going to own the crisis, and with God's help, we're going to fix it. You, my friends, are on the road to real spiritual recovery. In Psalm, the 51st chapter, I, David is so transparent, and he's so real and honest and objective. He, he writes this after he's been convicted of adultery, bringing a, 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 a child outside of marriage into the world, having a friend of his killed to try to cover up. My goodness, this man has done everything that he possibly could wrong. And there's no hope for him, right? Because you can't mess up that much and have hope. Guess again. He unveils himself to God. He unveils himself to God. He takes full ownership and responsibility for what he's done. In Psalm 51, he acknowledges, verse 1, he acknowledges that he's the problem, and then he begins to work on that repentance. Verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin, it's always before me. Against you have I sinned. God, I've I've faulted you, I've hurt you. He uses the pronoun I, not we, not others. He says, I, I have done it. I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified, Lord, when you judge. Oh, I appreciate so much. A man or woman who desires to take full responsibility for the crisis in their life. Now there are natural responses and more mature responses to life choices. I call them irresponsible responses and responsible responses. You hear students who talk about failing the college exam. One student says, I fail because my professor had it in for me. The other says, I fail because I didn't study. One's an irresponsible response. The other one is a mature response. Here's an irresponsible or natural response. I drink. Why? Well, the irresponsible response is because I'm under a lot of stress. A responsible response is I fail to practice self-control. I need help. A natural response to I yell and scream obscenities. A natural response is because I'm high strung. How many of you ever know people that, well, I'm just high strung? Oh, well, then you've legitimized your behavior. A mature response is my heart is controlled by Satan and it's time for me to change. I missed worship. I missed worship. Okay. An immature response is, well, got so much going on in my job. An objective response is, maybe I need to reevaluate my priorities, Jim. I would tithe more of my money. A natural response is, man, I got too many bills to pay. An honest, objective response is, maybe, Jim, I'm living above my means. Let me put a commercial in here for Financial Peace University. We offer it every semester here. Consider taking it, please. Instead of modifying our behavior and realizing how destructive it is, not just personally but to our loved ones, we convince ourselves that we simply cannot change, but we can. We can. We can change. We can change. David goes on to write in Psalm 51, verses 8 through 13, Let me hear joy and gladness. Some of you are like, man, I would love to hear joy and gladness. again, Jim, I would love to hear I'd love to experience that again in my life. I'd love to to wake up one morning, just one morning, and go, boy, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice. 
I can't wait to see what God's going to do through me today. And I know it may come through trials and tribulation. It may come through all kinds of hurdles. But you know what, Lord? To you be glory. To you be honor. Two things we've discovered in our spiritual warfare class. God allows us to go through trials. God allows His people, God's people, you as Christians, me as a Christian, to experience difficult trials in our life because He's trying to carve us into the image of His Son and He wants to be glorified. And sometimes He gets more glory out of pain than our joy. That's okay. David says, I want to hear joy and gladness again. My bones have been crushed, but I want them to rejoice again. Lord, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And if you would, Lord, just create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Maybe that's our prayer today. Lord, I just need a new heart. I need a heart transplant. And that transplant ain't going to happen if I continue to blame everybody else for my crisis. If I try to defer all my issues and all my problems and all my anxiety and all my fears to someone else. If I have to go back 40 years to find people to blame, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's just not going to do that anymore. Today, Lord, is a new day. And I need a new heart. So create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore the joy that I once had. David was so, again, so transparent and honest with God about his own sin. He recognized that healing started with him. Oprah Winfrey was interviewed. Actually, it's funny that she interviewed so many people and has over her entire career, but she was interviewed in relationship to weight loss. You know, I was just kind of interesting to hear what she said. She said, all my life, all my life, people have been challenging me, hey, you need to get into shape. Don't you hate when people tell you that? You have reason not to make friends with them anymore. Okay, so you know. All right. But people will drop hints like, oh, my goodness, aren't you, like, dying right now? Like I am at this very moment. Yes, okay, perspiring. Or don't you think, uh, don't you think if you shed a few pounds, you might be in better health? Yeah, I think we know that. But here's what she said. She said, I didn't decide to lose weight until I recognized that I need to do it for me. And right now, I don't want you to respond to Jesus Christ and salvation because you've got a family member that keeps poking in the ribs during the invitation hymn. If you can't do it for you, then just sit there. Please don't sit there too long. But don't do it until you recognize it is me that needs help. It is me that needs salvation. But if you're waiting for someone to prod you and someone to guilt you into doing something, it, you, you'll do it for a period of time and then you'll fall off the way. You've got to do it for you. You gotta change for you. If you don't love the way your life is going, you can change it. But no one can do it for you. They can pray for you. They can encourage you. But you gotta wake up one morning like David and say, okay, Lord, create in me a new heart and restore the joy of my salvation. In Luke, the 18th chapter, what a great story here, right? Two guys go up to the temple to pray. Two guys go up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. One ripped off the people. The other one was a religious zealot. The Pharisee, the religious example in the community, stood up and prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulteress. Or even like this crazy tax collector right next to me. In fact, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get back to you. Now I'm thinking to myself, what a good guy. We need more of those givers. We need more of those self-absorbed individuals. 
We need more of those religious elite. And then the tax collector, the guy who's been pillaging his own people and giving it to the Romans, the hated Romans, here's what he says. He stands at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven because he's so overwrought with guilt and shame. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me because I'm nothing more than a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, this man, this sinner, who looked at himself objectively, who recognized his faults, He went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's nothing wrong with looking up to the heavens and saying, God, I need help. There's nothing wrong, my friends, listen carefully, looking up in the heavens saying, I have blown it, I've made so many mistakes, I've injured people, I've hurt people, I've hurt you, I've hurt family, I've hurt myself. Listen, God wants to work through you. That brings me to my final point. The best way to self-implode is never believe you can change for the better. Just learn to cope with your destructive lifestyle. Just cope with it. So what do we do? We drown it in alcohol. We drown it in drugs. We drown it in pornography. Why? Because all we just want to do is cope. And you've caught yourself saying this over and over, haven't you? I just want to get through the day. Life is a jewel. It's a treasure. God doesn't want us just to get through the day. He wants us to cross the finish line. With joy in our hearts, spiritual dreams in our minds and our souls. Mindy was her name. She has a master, had a master's degree. She was a school teacher. She was also an alcoholic. Alcoholism consumed her, so therefore she got into very destructive behaviors and relationships, horribly dangerous relationships, right here in the streets of Kissimmee. She would worship here. She'd be the first to tell you that she her life was a complete mess. The other day she was hit and killed by a car. And I'll tell you one thing, my friends. The more I and the rest of us who are involved in community outreach services, the more we work with the homeless and the displaced, the more of this we see. We knew her. We worked with her. We prayed for her. Her self-esteem and self-worth were in the toilet. She never believed she was worth an honorable relationship. She never thought she was worth an honorable definition of love, and she felt like her life had no purpose. When I look back on Mindy's life, I realize she fed the monster of hopelessness. She never felt that she could get better. She bought into the idea that she wasn't worth it, and she died hopeless. Didn't need to. Hebrews 11.6, the writer says, Anyone who comes to me must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Anyone who comes to me must believe. Recovery starts with believing that you can be fixed and believing you can't do it apart from God. Anyone who comes to him, that is God, must believe. You don't have to believe the press clippings. You don't have to believe what other people have told you about you. You don't have to believe what, what family members have said. You don't have to believe that you cannot change, that you cannot recover. You do not have to believe that you have no hope or purpose in life. You do not have to believe that you will not stand before the judgment bar of God and give an account for your life. We all will. You've got to believe that, friends. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that Jesus died for you. You've got to believe that your sins can be covered in the blood of Christ when you're immersed for the forgiveness of those sins. You've got to believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is for you. And you've got to believe that nothing in your past can keep you from a love relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Believe God exists, John Baker says. Believe that you matter to him. Believe that he has the power to help deliver you. And believe that all of us will stand before God and give an account of our life choices. John Baker writes, positive change begins with honest evaluation of ourselves and our relationship with our Creator. Tonight, today, this afternoon, next week, and from here going forward, be honest. Tell God that you and you alone are the problem. You can change jobs, you can change spouses, you can change locations, you can change appearance, but the problem with that thinking is this, wherever you go, there you are. Number two, don't rationalize. Stop saying, well, it happened years ago, or it's just a stage I'm going through. Number three, stop the blame game. God will hold each of us responsible for our actions. And number four, don't deceive yourself. The scriptures tell us if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I close with Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. I I close with this, and it's... I guess it all depends on where you are in the spectrum of eternity, how you read these verses and how you absorb them. John, through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in his letter to us, the concluding letter of the Scriptures, says to Kissimmee Christian Church and to our audience today these words, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before this throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in those books. Now let that sink in. The dead were judged according to what they had done and what was recorded in those books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, that is the abode of the dead, gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone's name, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, John says he was thrown into the lake of fire. No attorneys, no excuses. And I thought, you know, Jim, I don't know if that's the way you want to end this sermon. You really want to end it with everybody facing eternity? Yes, yes, that's how I want to end the sermon today. That's exactly how I want to end it. Because I still believe that God has given us time. And there's some folks here today that need to take full advantage of this moment. You say, Jim, I cannot believe, I cannot believe what's going to happen when those books are open and God begins to look at mistakes that I've made and all the wrong decisions and the people I've hurt. Man, that's the last thing I want to do. Well, I've got to tell you something. There is hope because you have a mediator, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The beauty is, no matter how many mistakes we have made, if we have lined ourselves up with this Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior of our life, he becomes our mediator. He simply says to God on that throne of judgment, he's one of mine. She is one of mine. I hope today that everyone in this sanctuary is one of his. I don't know what you have on your agenda today, and I don't know what's important or what's not important, but I will tell you this right now, if you're outside of Christ, you have this moment to get right with him.
to step forward and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I believe and I'm ready to confess his name and I'm ready to make changes. Jim, I can't make them alone, but with God I can. And I'm saying, amen, amen, amen. You don't have to change by yourself because you can't. If you're willing to repent of your sins and be baptized today for the forgiveness of your sins, when you stand before God, you'll hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. That's a promise, but only to those who are redeemed. Only to those who've taken responsibility for their spiritual future. Today, grace has been offered. Take advantage of it.